study with us as we uh, think about uh, some things from God's Word tonight. Over the last several Sunday nights, we've been taking uh, the account of the conversion of the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16 as our starting point. We want to continue to do that tonight. And so uh, turn over there, Acts chapter 16. We'll take just a minute to review the circumstances, and then we'll proceed with our lesson for tonight. You might remember that uh, Paul went over to Philippi as a result of a vision he had of, of someone calling him over. Come, come over to us and preach the gospel here. And so he goes to Philippi and he has some success there. <clears throat> and uh, first of all, converts a woman named Lydia and uh, then searches out other opportunities to teach people the gospel. There's a young woman there who, the Bible tells us, has a spirit of divination. She's able to tell people's fortunes. She's a, a slave girl, and her owners are using her for their own profit. And so uh, they will sort of hire her out, and uh, she can use her abilities uh, to tell people's fortunes, and they receive the profit from that. Uh, Paul casts this, this spirit out of her, and uh, then, of course, when the people see, the, her masters see that their uh, source of profit is gone, well, then they uh, uh, drag Paul and Silas before the, the law, before the magistrates, and they're put into court, or they're put into jail. They're put into the inner jail, into the inner prison, in fact, and they're, uh, they are, uh, their feet are put into the stocks, and so uh, they're guarded very, very closely. During the course of the night, we find Paul and Silas, instead of just, woe is me, and this isn't fair, and why did God allow these things to happen to us? After all, aren't we trying to teach these people the gospel? They're singing and praying, and the other prisoners are listening to them. Verse 26 tells us, suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were, were unfastened. And the jailer awoke, saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword, he was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. And Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, we're all here. He called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And so that's the question we've been asking and answering over the last several weeks, uh, what must I do to be saved? Now, he's not the only one in the New Testament to ask this question, but we've kind of focused in on, on his episode and trying to uh, draw from various places in the New Testament the answer to that question, what must I do to be saved? Remember, we talked about saved from what? what? What is it that he wants to be saved from? Well, Romans chapter 5 tells us that we're saved from the wrath of God through the sacrifice of Christ. And so God's wrath is poured out upon all unrighteousness. Romans 1 verse 18 tells us we are just, our just deserts are God's wrath. And so we're deserving of God's wrath because of our sin. And so we need to know what we must do to be saved. Well, in the following verses, verse 31, uh, Paul says, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. We talked about the importance of faith. Faith in Jesus as the Christ. 
Faith in Jesus as the Son of God. Faith in Jesus as our Savior. Do we trust in Him? We have confidence in Him to save us and uh, to uh, rescue us from God's wrath. But we also noted then that faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of Christ. Every example of conversion that we find in the book of Acts, we find people hearing the Word taught. And so people are not saved without hearing the gospel first. So people hear the gospel, then they put their faith in it, they put their confidence in the gospel to save them. We talked then about the necessity for repentance, to change our life, to going from serving self and doing pretty much what we want to do, to submitting to the authority of Christ and doing what He would have us to do. And so repentance is necessary. God commands all men to repent, Acts 17 and verse 30. We talked about the necessity of confessing our faith as well. And so if, if uh, people who believe become Christians, well then they need to confess what they believe in order to become Christians. And so in Acts chapter 8, remember the Ethiopian asked the question, why, why, here's water, why can't I be baptized? Well, if you believe, you may be baptized. And he confessed. He said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Well, in Acts chapter 16, verse 32, continues the story. They spoke the word of the Lord to him, together with all who were in his house. And so, we don't want to stop at verse 31. Verse 32 tells us important information as well. They continued to teach him. They spoke the word of the Lord to him, together with everyone there, all his family, everyone in his house. And then verse 33 says, He took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and his household. And he brought them out into his house, set food before them, rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. And so, after hearing the gospel taught, he then immediately was baptized. That same hour of the night. So they didn't wait a day or two or a week or a month. Upon his faith, upon his repentance, then they baptized him, even that same hour of the night. Now that's not an unusual case in the book of Acts. Other, other accounts in which we're given details about people's conversion, we find people being baptized. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, people who heard the gospel were baptized. In Acts chapter 8, when, people went, when Philip went to the city of Samaria and taught the gospel there, people that believed it were baptized. Uh, later on in Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized. And we find it here in Acts 16, when the case of Lydia and the case of the Philippian jailer, they are baptized. Uh, Ananias, after he taught Saul, asked him, Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. And, and he was. Acts chapter 9 and verse 18 tells us. And so we find people becoming disciples, being baptized. Why? What, why is it important for people to be baptized? Well, that's what we want to think about tonight. Just take as the title of our lesson this uh, phrase that we find here in Acts chapter 16. Immediately, he was baptized. We really want to uh, think about three aspects of the question. We want to try to give a Bible answer to these questions. And uh, the first one is, uh, who is to be baptized? Well, the first one really is, how, how are we to baptize? And again, give a scriptural, biblical answer to that question. 
And then who is to be baptized and why are people baptized in the New Testament? And so we want to baptize the right people in the right way for the right reason. And how do we determine what's right about this? Well, we go to the Scriptures and we find out what the Scriptures tell us, what the Word of God tells us, and then we apply that to our actions today. You can see the picture here. Someone is about to be baptized as one of the people we know in Africa, and uh, they're baptizing this particular, this man is baptizing this particular person in, uh, in the creek there. And maybe that you were baptized in a creek, or maybe a baptistry, or a swimming pool. Uh, but uh, the important thing is to be baptized, and we're going to try to answer these questions uh, from the Scriptures. We want to baptize in the right way. What is the biblical way to baptize people? Or what's the mode or the biblical method of baptizing people? Well, the word itself, baptize, suggests the proper method. The root of the word, the B-A-P-T part of the word, the bapt part of the, the word baptize or baptism, suggests that baptism is an immersion in water. Uh, and uh, if you look at Acts chapter 10, you'll find uh, that, that connection being made in the uh, occasion of Cornelius being baptized. And so Acts chapter 10 and verse 47, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. And so he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. And so look at the connection there between being baptized in water and being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And so if we're going to baptize in the name of Jesus Christ, the command is to be baptized in water, and the term baptism suggests an immersion in water or a submersion in water. Now, I don't have a, uh, an extensive library, but I have several authoritative or uh, standard sources that people at least turn to uh, as uh, uh, authorities and uh, good standard definitive works, defining words, and so we'll draw from them. The Bauer, Arndt, and Gingrich, and Danker uh, lexicon of Greek terms defines this bat to baptize or baptism as to dip, to immerse. In non-Christian literature, to plunge or sink or drench or overwhelm. And so what does it mean to baptize something? Well, it means to dip it, to immerse it. Uh, if you're talking about a ship was baptized, you might find that in literature outside the Bible. Well, it, it, it sank, went down into the water. Joseph Thayer in his lexicon defines ba to baptize as to dip repeatedly, to emerge. Now in this case, emerge means to go down into something. It's I-M-M-E-R-G-E, not E-M-E-R-G-E. -E. And so to emerge, spelled with an E, means to, to come out of something. But to emerge, spelled with an I, means to put into something, like immerse. All right, and so to dip, to emerge, to submerge, to make clean by washing, to wash, to make clean with water, to cleanse by dipping or submerging. Metaphorically, to overwhelm. And he defines baptism as an immersion or submersion. And so the, the word itself uh, suggests to us the proper mode or method of baptism to immerse, to submerge, to dip. The uh, Dictionary of New Testament Theology says, in secular Greek, bapto means to dip, to dip into dye. 
So if you want to dye a cloth, it's one color, you want to make it another color, take the cloth and you put it down into the dye. You dip it all the way down. Baptizo, the verb form, means to dip or to perish by sinking, as in the case of a ship or a drowning. The Theological Dictionary of New Testament terms says that bapto means to, to dip in or under. Baptizo, to immerse, to sink, to drown, to go under, to be overwhelmed. Liddell and Scott, their lexicon, to dip and to plunge. And Vine, in his dictionary, says that baptism cons consists of the process of immersion, submergence, and emergence. To dip, it's used of dyeing uh, clothing and drawing water by dipping a vessel into another. And so, you want to draw some water, got a ladle, you dip it down into that bucket of water, and then bring it up and take a, a drink of it. And so what, what's the appropriate scriptural, biblical method of baptizing someone? Well, the Word itself gives us uh, some insight into that. The Word means to dip, to immerse, to plunge. In the case of a, a ship, to sink. <laughs> In the case of uh, dyeing a cloth, you know, to submerge that cloth down into the dye. Now, we've got some corroborating statements from the New Testament. Look, for example, at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, and uh, Paul is there encouraging them not to continue in sin. He recalls their baptism. Don't you remember when you were baptized, you died to sin? And if we died to sin, we shouldn't continue to live in sin. But look what he says in verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore, we've been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And so you see the image there that we've been buried with Him in baptism. And so just as uh, uh, Christ died, He was buried, and then He came up out of the grave. So when we are baptized, we die to sin, we are buried, buried in the water, and then we come up to live a new life. And so baptism is this burial. It corresponds to the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. Colossians chapter 2, Bryant read it just a few moments ago. Colossians chapter 2 says that we have been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with Him through faith in the working of God. Now we're going to come back to that passage a little bit later. But again, that idea of burial. And so, what's the appropriate mode, the scriptural mode or method of baptism? Well, we bury people in baptism. We dip them or immerse them in water, just like we bury person, a person by putting them all the way down into the, the grave or the tomb. Look at John chapter 3 and verse 23. In this particular passage, John is telling us about the, the work of John the Baptist, and he says that he was baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was much water there. And so he's baptizing people in a place where there is a lot of water. And so you can see that's, that's just corroborating evidence. Baptism requires a good bit of water to dip someone, get them all the way down, to plunge them into the water. And then look at Mark chapter, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16. This is the baptism of Jesus. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. Came up from the water. He was in the water. He came up from the water uh, when He was baptized. And again, just supporting evidence, corroborating evidence. Baptism is 
dipping in, immersing in water in the name of Christ. Today, you find churches administering baptism in other ways, by applying water to the person, by pouring or by sprinkling. And so pouring some water on a person or sprinkling water on a person. But in the New Testament, baptism was an immersion in water. And so we want to baptize people in the right way, in a scriptural way, a biblical way. When a person uh, confesses their faith, having repented of their sins, wants to be baptized, we, we prepare the baptistry, fill it up full of water so that we might immerse them, get them all the way, plunge them down, dip them down into the water in the name of Christ. Well, we want to baptize people. Uh, we want to baptize the right people. And so baptize the right people in the right way. And so we ask the question, who in the New Testament was baptized? Well, an examination of the detailed examples show that adult believers were baptized. And so let's think about all of these cases of conversion that we've looked at in the book of Acts. Those who were baptized, look at the details of, of their, uh, uh, the accounts of their conversion. And uh, think about who, who is, there, is there a pattern there? Is there some consistency in the kind of people who uh, were baptized? Well, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, those who called out were told to repent and be baptized. So you remember in Acts chapter 2, Peter tells the audience to know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Christ. And they call out to Peter and the others, what must we do? And then they're told to repent and be baptized. And so, and then later on we find that those who received the word were baptized. And so we see that in verse 41. And so who was baptized? Well, those who understood Paul's, uh, Peter's sermon and those who were cut to the heart because of what Peter had to say those who came to understand that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. And, and those then were told to repent. People who are capable of repentance and turning from sin, they received that message and they were baptized. Now that would all indicate that they're adults, right? These are adult people that we're talking about in Acts chapter 2. Now they could be young adults, but adults nonetheless. And so it takes some level of maturity and intellectual development to understand who Jesus is, that He's Lord in Christ. To understand the need for repentance and turning from sin. You have to be conscious of your sin, first of all, and then make a deliberate de decision to turn away from that sin. And so these, these are adults who receive the Word and are baptized. In Samaria, believers were baptized. That's Acts chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. Philip goes to Samaria. He's preaching the gospel there. When they believed Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized. And so believers are baptized. People who come to faith, come to put their confidence and their trust in Christ. And he goes on to say, both men and women, there at the end of verse 12, men and women alike were baptized. In Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch, clearly an adult, he's traveling along, he's been to Jerusalem to worship, and all, every, all the information in the account suggests to us that he's, he's a grown person, he, he's an adult. Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 9, obviously an adult, on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians, the Lord appears to him, and so forth. You remember that account? So, Saul of Tarsus, obviously an adult believer, 
Cornelius was an adult believer as well. So all of these examples indicate that those baptized were adult men and women capable of listening to the gospel, accepting it as true, and then making a deliberate decision to be baptized. Baptism then is also accompanied by and preceded by other actions. So notice that. Baptism in the New Testament is preceded by other actions. And so in Acts chapter 2, for example, on the day of Pentecost, people are told to know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And so Peter lays out the evidence. Jesus is the Christ. They are asked to consider the evidence and reach a conclusion. It's only upon that conviction that Jesus is Lord and Christ that Peter tells them to be baptized. And so faith, we say, sometimes is a prerequisite, something that must be done before a person is baptized. And then in verse 38, Peter tells them to repent. And so again, that's a conscious decision. We've talked about repentance a few weeks ago, a deliberate decision to turn away from a life of sin and turn to a life that's governed by God and God's will. And, and so repentance is something that is done by a person who has some consciousness of sin, uh, understanding his culpability, his, his uh, responsibility uh, uh, for his actions. And so, again, that takes a degree, a level of maturity that little children don't have. And so, just think about the things that we are to do before we're baptized. We're to believe, we're to repent, then we're baptized. And so all of that suggests to us that candidates for baptism are adult believers who are willing to repent, penitent believers. Well, sometimes people will say, well, what about infant baptism? Today we find churches baptizing infants, uh, very, very small children. And I point to an example like Acts chapter 16, where the household of Lydia is baptized. And so this happens in the city of Philippi. Lydia hears the gospel. The Lord opens her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. When she and her household had been baptized, she urges saying, if you've judged me to be faithful, stay with us a, a while. And so she and her household or her family were baptized. And so the argument goes, well, there, there must have been some very small children, if not infants, in, in Lydia's family. Well, not necessarily. There are lots of families who don't have small children. You, you, your family may not have small children. You may have uh, young adult children, maybe even older adult children in, in your family. And so the reference to a person's household doesn't necessarily imply the presence of infants or small children. Many have, households have neither. Sometimes people will argue that baptism is similar to circumcision as the sign of participation in the covenant. And so just as in the Old Testament, small children were circumcised to indicate that they're participants in God's covenant, today baptism is that sign of participation in the covenant. And so that allows us to baptize infants or small children. Well, the New Testament does link or, or at least make a comparison between baptism and circumcision, but not in that way. And so Luke, uh, Colossians chapter 2 is the passage that we're going to look at. He says in verse 11, In Him, in Christ, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh 
by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were raised up with Him through faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And so, how does Paul say that baptism is like circumcision? Well, just as circumcision separated the person from the flesh, cut away the flesh, so in baptism, a person is separated from the impulses of his flesh, the desires of the flesh. He no longer walks according to the flesh. Paul says, and describes it in this way, Romans chapter 6, we are raised up from baptism to walk in a new life. The flesh is that part of us that is contrary to the will of God. It's that part of us that tries to influence us to rebel against God. And so when a person is baptized, he puts that away. He puts that flesh away, and now he walks by the Spirit. All right, and so it's similar to baptism, uh, circumcision in that respect. So just as circumcision cut the flesh away physically, in baptism we remove the flesh spiritually speaking. In the Old Covenant, circumcision was made with hands. Of course, in the New Covenant, this circumcision, spiritual circumcision, this separation from the flesh, is accomplished by the Spirit without, without hands. So who is baptized in the New Testament? Well, believers, willing to repent of their sins. And so we want to baptize the right people, people who are old enough to believe in Jesus Christ, put their faith in Him, their confidence in Him, and repent and turn away from sin. All right. Now, the third question is, for what reason should we baptize? So we want to baptize the right people in the right way for the right purpose. Well, look at some New Testament statements that uh, explain the purpose of baptism. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, there Peter says to the, to the, the crowd, they cry out, what must we do? He tells them, repent. Each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Talked about what that is. For the forgiveness of your sins, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent. Each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for looking forward to, in order to receive the remission or the forgiveness of your sins. And so, see that baptism is linked to the remission of sins or the forgiveness of sins. A similar statement is made in Acts chapter 22 and verse 16. Saul of Tarsus is talking with Ananias. Ananias talks to him about the gospel and about Christ and what God has planned for him. And so he says in verse 16 to Saul, Why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins. And so, see the connection, the relationship between baptism and washing away your sins. Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins by being baptized. And so what's the purpose for baptism? Well, in baptism, our sins are washed away. Look at Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, a person is baptized into Christ. And so if it's important to be in Christ, how do you get into Christ? We're baptized into Christ. We're baptized into His death. Therefore, we've been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. 
And so Christ died, was buried, was raised up to live a new life. We die to sin. We are buried in baptism. We begin a new life when we are raised up. And then verse 5, For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. So several things going on in this passage. We're baptized into Christ. We're baptized into His death. Our new life begins at baptism. We're united with Christ when we are baptized into Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we see a little bit more, get a little bit more information. He says there, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, were all made to drink of the same Spirit. When he says by one Spirit, the idea is at the direction of the Spirit. So at the direction of the Spirit we were all baptized into one body. We were immersed in water in the name of Jesus Christ into Christ or into the body of Christ. And so, see the relationship between being baptized and entering, entering into the body of Christ. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. It's another passage that mentions the purpose of baptism and the result of baptism. And it says in verse 26, We're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ or clothed yourselves with Christ. And so again, we are baptized into Christ. And if we receive blessings once we are in Christ, we need to know how to get into Christ, we're baptized into Christ. And then finally, there's a statement in 1 Peter chapter 3, compares what happened to Noah in the flood to what happens to a person when he's baptized. And so in verse 21, Peter writes, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, eight persons were saved through water, verse 20 tells us, and in a similar way we're saved through water today when, uh, when we're baptized. And so just notice how clear and plain Peter's statement is corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Now not baptism by itself, not baptism alone, but when a person is baptized in faith, having repented of his sins, calling on the name of the Lord to save him, then baptism plays an important part in our salvation. Sometimes people ask, well, is it necessary for a person to be baptized? Does a person have to be baptized to be saved? Well, let's ask these questions. <laughs> is it necessary to obtain the remission of sins to be saved? Well, if it is, well then you must be baptized because we're baptized for the remission of sins. And so if, it, if it's necessary to receive the remission of sins or the forgiveness of sins to be saved, well then, then yes. Is it necessary to have our sins washed away? Is it necessary to be in Christ? Is it necessary to begin a new life? Is it necessary to be in the body of Christ? If the answer to these things is yes, <laughs> Yes, we must be in Christ. Yes, we must begin a new life. Yes, our sins must be washed away. Well, baptism is how those things are accomplished. So you draw the conclusion. <laughs> is it necessary to be baptized? Well, if you must have your sins washed away, yes. If you need to have your sins forgiven, well, yes. Baptism is necessary. Most churches baptize in some form, but you know, not everyone baptizes for the remission of sins. 
Some, for example, baptize as a sign that your sins have already been forgiven. But that's not what these passages teach. And so what we want to do is baptize the right people in the right way for the right reason. Well, sometimes people will object to things that I've, I've, I've talked about tonight. Sometimes people will say, well, you know, you teach us salvation by works. But the Bible says we're saved by grace. No, I'm not teaching that a person earns his salvation or for some reason deserves his salvation because he's baptized. As a matter of fact, in baptism, it's God that does the work, not, not us. God does the work. That's Colossians 2 and verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were raised up with him through faith in the working of God. Our faith is in the working of God, not our own work. We're not somehow deserving and accomplishing salvation, meriting it as, as we're immersed in water. No, God is doing the work. God is washing away our sins. God is forgiving our sins as we submit to His command to be baptized. In fact, another passage that might be uh, uh, applicable to that point is Acts 22, verse 16. Saul of Tarsus asked, uh, and Ananias asked Saul of Tarsus, why, why, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. What's the rest of that? Calling on the name of the Lord. You're appealing to the Lord to save you. You're not resting on your own works. A human response is necessary to receive God's gracious gift, but it's still God's gift of grace. In John chapter 9, we read about the, uh, Jesus giving the blind man his sight. Remember, he spit on the ground. Jesus spit on the ground and made mud from the spittle, put it on the man's eyes, and told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And when the man did that, when he went and washed, he came back seeing. He was healed by God's grace. He was healed by God's power. And yet God's grace was bestowed upon him when he followed the instructions of Christ, he went and washed in the pool of Siloam. And so, simply because a thing is done by God's grace doesn't make our human response unnecessary. Sometimes people will say, well, you guys, y'all pre preach and teach baptismal regeneration. The, the act of baptism itself will, will save. Now, that's not what we teach at all. That's not what I teach anyway. Baptism in the name of Christ combined with faith and repentance does save. Not just the act of baptism itself saves. It's baptism uh, uh, submitted to, baptism performed, carried out as an act of faith in the power of God and faith in Christ. Well, the remaining question is simply this. Have you been baptized immersed in water in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. You might say, well, you know, I was baptized. As, were you baptized? Were you immersed in water in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins? We want to baptize the right people in the right way for the right reason. And if that's not true in your case, we would like for you to seriously consider being baptized scripturally. The right person in the right way for the right reason. And we might ask, like Saul of Tarsus, if you're a believer ready to repent, why do you wait? Why do you wait? 
Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful for your grace and mercy, your willingness to forgive. Uh, our, our Father, we are so thankful that uh, you love us, that you're concerned about us, and that you're willing to bestow through your great power, your grace on us through Jesus Christ. Father, we understand that you ask us, you call upon us to respond to this great offer of grace, that we trust in Christ as our Savior, as the Son of God, that we believe in Him, that we turn away from our sin, to turn away from self and turn to Him and follow Him, that we be willing to confess and have the courage to confess Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that we be baptized, that we be immersed in water for the remission of sins in the name of Christ, so that you might, in your grace, wash them away, remove them from our lives. Father, we pray that if there are those here this evening who have never done this, we pray that they'll do this uh, without delay. If there are those of us who have done this, Father, but been untrue to the commitment that we made when we were baptized to walk in newness of life, that we might repent of our sins and ask you to forgive us. Father, again, we're thankful for your love, for your grace, for your willingness, your generosity uh, to bestow these things on us and help us, Father, to call upon you by doing the things you ask us to do in the way that you ask us to do them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're subject to the